Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everybody, welcome to Marriage and Martinis. I'm Adam, here's Danielle. Hello. So I think we are way past due for recording just the two of us. It's been a while. So I think this weekend, so Monday we should hopefully have a, a brand new spanking episode of just the two of us back in action, hopefully. I hope so, yes. <laughs> are you I ready for this? Or? I am ready. It's Good. all about you. I, I am ready. It's been too long. I'm pumped. Let's do it. Good. Yeah. Today's episode is really awesome, though, too. Tiffany Alicia, I tried to get her, um, I, I contacted her months and months ago. She is so busy, and everybody wants to have her on their program that it literally took months um, to get her on, but we finally did, and she is awesome. What I love most about her, um, Tiffany, a.k.a. the Budget Nista, go follow her on Instagram for sure, is that she was not always in finance. And in fact, at one point she was really at rock bottom. So she knows what it's like to be on the other side of things financially and have that shame and that, um, that, you know, fear that comes along with it. Um, but she's really trying to rid of that shame and just say, you know, we all get to a place financially in our lives, or at least most of us, um, when we're really, you know, at the bottom and we, it's okay, we're human, but there's also a way to get out of it. And she prides her knowledge of finance um, on her parents' um, practices, raising her, and what they did with money and the stories that she tells about how her father especially implemented these lessons into her childhood, I think are amazing um, and definitely make me see that we needed to be doing a lot more than we already were. Well, what I love about her so much and, I, and other people too, like we had Joel on from How to Money, which was kind of similar. People like like Joel and Tiffany and a lot of other people out there who just kind of dumbed down money for the rest of us that don't get in, that we don't need to be intimidated yeah. about how to spend it's money relatable. and how to save they money. Make it relatable. I, I love listening to people like this talk. Right. Yeah. I understood what she was saying and you know that that's, that says a lot. She is America's favorite financial educator and the number one best-selling author. She's been seen, I mean, literally everywhere. The Today Show, MSNBC, CNN, Time, New York Times, Forbes, Good Morning America. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think even Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, I just learned. I need to go back and watch that episode because that's one of my favorite shows. So please enjoy Tiffany. Tiffany. Hi, Hi Tiffany. Yeah. How are you? Hi. I'm well. How are you? <laughs> Was that too abrupt? Do we just start too abruptly for you? No, 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 no. That's fine. <laughs> I'd say it's more confusing. Okay, We're sorry. Over each other. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. I know you're super busy. 
Well, I feel like everybody's super busy in this this social media age, right? <laughs> I know, but I think you're especially super busy. Like I follow you on Instagram and you are, I mean, you have so much going on. It's all awesome. You're kicking butt. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when I found out about you and saw you and started following you on Instagram, I was uh, like instantly was just so impressed by everything that you're doing. And especially I loved, I, I want you to tell it, but your story, your backstory mm-hmm. about being a preschool teacher and everything. Can you tell everybody a little bit about that? Cause you haven't always been in finance. No, I haven't. Well, at least not formally. So, so I was fortunate in that the household that I grew up in, my father, who was a CFO and a, of a small nonprofit and an accountant was really adamant about teaching my four sisters and I about money. And so he was more like the academic financial teacher. Like, this is actually how you budget. Come sit next to me. I'm going to show you. And this is how, you know, your mom and I pay the bills. And my mom was more like the real life application of money. And so she would take us school shopping and explain why she chose this instead of this item. And she would take us food shopping and show, you know, how, how much she had to spend for food and how she had to make it all work. So I didn't know that people didn't have regular financial chats. I'm like, until like middle school, like you guys don't have Thursday night money class, you know? (laughs) And so, um, but you know, at the time, you know, I thought it was, oh, I hate it. It's, It's annoying. But now, obviously as an adult, I see the extreme value in growing up in a household like that. So much so it helped me to pick my career. When I was in college, I was going to school for business. And I had all of these internships and I realized, oh, I really don't want to work in corporate America. And I was deciding what did I like? And while I was on campus, I worked at a childcare center and I'm like, oh, you know, I've always loved kids. And I thought I would really love to be a teacher. But honestly, I was afraid of being broke because, you know, they tell you teachers don't make much. And yeah, so, I was a teacher, I can tell you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I remember because because of the financial lessons I grew up with, I really did the math ahead of time. I had two jobs on the line, one that was going to pay me 39000 which was teaching, and one that was going to pay me 55000 which was the internship that they offered me a position. It was corporate ShopRite, I remember, Wakeburn. And I was able to choose the teaching position because I did the math, I did what my bills would be and said I could, if I live below my means and live frugally and live smart, I can also have the job that I really want. And so that's when I started to really understand just how important it was to that with the financial education that I, I grew up with. And I probably, quite honestly, would still be a preschool teacher today had it not been for the recession and my school closing because they lost their funding. They were a nonprofit-based school. And so they lost their funding and we all lost our jobs three days before the new school year was set to begin. Um, and it caused me to readjust. And as I was navigating my new financial state, so many people would come to me because they knew me from before. Like you were always good with your money. You helped me then. I used to help people do their taxes. I used to help people budget and save during nap time. The parents would come in. I helped my college roommates. And so people came to me during the recession and, and asked for help again. And that's really how the Budget Nista was born, was that friends would ask and then friends of friends and then friends of friends of friends until there were people who I didn't know who were asking and I decided it's probably now time to start charging since I don't have any money. <laughs> and so the budget was born that way. Wow. And didn't your, your best friend or something, didn't she, she was the one who sort of convinced you? Yes. Cause she was like, um, she was at my house one weekend 
and someone rang the doorbell and that was because that's what I used to help people with their finances during the recession. And I didn't know who they were. And I'm like, they're like, no, a friend of mine told me that you, <laughs> that you help with budgets. Oh my, like, and you weren't what? charging anybody. You were just doing it for free. Yeah. Because you know, you don't think about, I, I, cause who charges for budgeting? I'd never heard of that, you know? So I just was helping my friends out. But then she was like, well, Tiffany, you're broke. We're all broke. <laughs> like you should charge something. And I remember I was charging 50 bucks a person and I couldn't even get that because honestly, nobody had it. And it forced me to say, okay, well, who does have it? And so I realized that like, okay, if I, my, my, um, my mentor at the time told me that, you know, you should look to see organizations that are already looking to help the community. And so I reached out to as many as I could think of because I've been doing a lot of volunteer work during my unemployment. And I reached out to all the places that I volunteered with before, the YMCA, churches, the United Way. And the United Way reached back out and said, yes, we'd love for you to teach financial education to the community and we'll pay you to do so. So it was like a light bulb moment of like a business model that worked, that I get the organization to pay me and then I get to help the community and I don't have to worry about the financial burden on the people who couldn't afford it anyway. Mm. Well, going back to the beginning just a little bit, I just want to kind of do a quick little shout out here to your parents. That's a very uncommon thing for, for your parents to kind of sit you down, teach you all these things like budgeting and, you know, about when you, like you said, going clothes shopping, what you should buy and why. Yeah, the and, only thing I do with my kids at the food store is they put something in the cart, I put it back. Right. I put something in the cart, I put, I get to the, to the checkout counter and I'm like, what, what just happened here? Yeah, like, and then there's they 50 things in my cart that I didn't have before. I'm never, I, I should be probably being like, this costs this much, but I don't. No, no but then they scream and they're like, okay, get this one and maybe one of these too. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you just don't want to deal with it. But having parents that actually teach you these things and it's a part of your life that I would say is very uncommon throughout at least this country, who knows where else. But if doing what you're doing can really sink in and we all start doing that, yes. I think maybe in a couple of generations we'll all be okay, right? I think so. Because here's the thing that my, my father especially was really good at. He was good at pairing what was important to him financially to what was important to me as a kid. So I think like my very, very first financial lesson, I barely remember this. I feel like I only remember it because I've heard the story was like, I was obsessed with running water and I would turn it on all over the house. I would go into the bathroom, turn on the faucet. And I love, I love the sound. Every <laughs> father's it, nightmare. I know. Right. <laughs> and so they could not figure out how to get me to stop turning off, turning on this water. So he had a brilliant idea. He was like, okay, Tiffany's never going to care about water because you tell a four or five year old, Hey, the water bill, what does that even mean? to a, a four or five year old. So we were younger, we didn't have much money growing up. So during the summertime, I'm, my parents have five daughters, so I'm the number two. During the summertime, um, the, the ice cream truck would come around, all the other kids in the neighborhood were able to get ice cream, but that's $5 every time the ice cream truck comes around. My dad was not paying that. So what he would do is if it was ice cream day, he would let you go and order. So my sister Karen went first, and then maybe like a week later, it's another ice cream day, now it's my turn. You know, and so that means everyone else had to go inside and get ice cream from the freezer. Um, but you got to take your dollar to the ice cream truck like the rest of the kids when it was your day. So I was five years old, ran the water as per usual, went outside to play, knew that it was ice cream day. Hear the ice cream truck run inside to collect my do dollar. And my dad said, oh, you just missed the water, man. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, every time you run the water, the water man comes to collect the dollar. 
And I was like, uh, what does that mean? (laughs) Yes. Can you imagine? And so I was like, so he was like, we didn't have a dollar. So we had to give him your ice cream day dollar. I apparently, I don't remember, but apparently I lost it because you can imagine a four-year-old. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Right. Temper tantrum. Which, Do you, you have know, now, um, one of those apps on your phone, like a noise app that you just have water running while you're sleeping? <laughs> <all day laughs> and, you know, and I'm still, I still love water, but I do not run the water to this day. And I stopped, <laughs> right. literally, yeah, that, what I stopped that day, that because what he made, and this is what I think for parents to understand when it comes to children and teaching financial education is that you have to pair what's important to the child to what's important to you. Your child, even a grown child is never going to care about your bills. Like your 13-year-old, your 33-year-old, your 24-year-old, like those are your bills. So how do you make it important? And when I was four, it was ice cream. And then when I was in middle school, it was vacations. He used to highlight the um, electrical bill from the current month and the month before, and he would put it on the dining room table, which was in the center of the house. Um, the, the dining room was in the center of our house. And I would, we would walk by it, and you could see the bill. Did it go up or did it go down? <laughs> if it went down. This right? and if it, my hero, right. first of all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am Paul. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so if it went down, he, that meant that he would put money in our vacation jar. And so even though I'm realizing that now that I'm grown, I realize $10 is not taking us to, to vacation, but it was more so symbolic of you want to go on vacation. I want the light bill to go down. So it, it made us say, oh, turn off the lights because you know, if we're going to go on vacation this summer, we have to keep the bills down. So I think for parents everywhere, that is, that is a critical component of teaching financial education at home. It's pairing it to what's important to your child and linking it to what's important to you until one day they're old enough to understand the true importance. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's so hard today too, because I take my daughter, we go almost every day and I know uh, you're in finance. This is going to be like nails on a chalkboard to you, but we go to Starbucks almost every day. I give the woman my phone at the, you know, behind the counter. She scans the app. My daughter doesn't even know how much we spent because everything is on an app. Now you don't even need to exchange cash anymore. And so I know, for instance, that that's terrible and I need to change that. But I think today it's even like with all these apps and everything, kids aren't even having to count money or see it exchanged or how much did she just get back? Because everything is either done online through PayPal or with an app. Yes. And here's the thing. It's hard for when you don't have actual money in hand, which I understand because it doesn't it does, it's not convenient to have money in hand and we don't have money in hand. It's very easy for, for money to slip through, but still, you can still do things like I, for example, I have a, my stepdaughter, she's 13. But when I, when I first started dating my husband, she was maybe like five, six or seven. And she loves staples, love, love, love staples. We had a staples card because of my business. And so I got her into the habit of using the right language. So we would go to staples and she would say, um, in the beginning, when she was really little, I taught her to, how to say, Tiffany, what's my budget? You know, which just meant how much money can I spend? 
And even if I didn't physically give her any money, I would write it down on a piece of paper. You can spend $3. And then as I was in the aisles getting the things that I want, and she'd be in the same aisle, I would see her with the paper adding up because she was obsessed with um, mechanical pencils, adding up. If I get this pencil and this pencil, does that equal $3? What about this eraser and this marker? Does that equal $3? But she actually enjoyed that better than just buying her something out of the blue. It was like she got she got um, the power of choosing what was what she wanted, but within a within a um, a budget that I felt comfortable spending. And so I think that even with the Starbucks runs, you can still do that within moderation. But let's just say you give your child like a a, a budget for the week, like for Starbucks, and you know it's not enough to cover every single day. Then they have to decide, you know, well if I get this, how much is going to be left over for tomorrow? Because what you're really giving your, your child is the opportunity to kind of make a actual a choice that's going to be beneficial or not to them and within a safe environment. That's what we really want to teach children is to learn how to think things through and to problem solve, especially with their finances. Yeah, I think that's really important now, maybe more than ever, because like Danielle was just saying, you know, there's no more cash exchange anymore. It's all on an app. It's all sometimes you don't even know if you're not good at budgeting, you don't even know what you just spent. And What's happening now with you know millennials and later, they don't have a, a, a as a as a group in a whole. They, they don't have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I just saw recently um, the condo and and townhouse um, homes they're booming because people can't afford homes anymore. The millennials and later can't afford homes anymore. Do, mm. do you think? I know there's a lot of other reasons why this is. Do you think that the budgeting and because of technology and no more cash that that has a lot to do with it or how they can better, I, I don't know, budget themselves now compared to when we were growing up and it was all cash. I think that millennials live a little differently than, you know, I'm like, I'm like, a, what do they call it? An extennial? <laughs> like where it's like group. Right, exactly. So I'm 40. <laughs> I just turned 40. Right. And so like, that's like, you know, we have got one, one foot in generation X, one foot in millennial. Yep. So I feel like what's happening with millennials are they kind of like came of age, like deep recession, like, you know, where they're like, whoa. So they got to see the lesson that I learned the hard way is that you could do all the right things and it could all be taken. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, then why do I, why should I even do, why should I do the, you know, why should I go through that, those measures of like, you know, like for us, it was like, here's the thing, you know, you graduated high school, you go to college, you get a degree, maybe you get a second degree, you get a good job and these things will work out. And then the recession comes and people who did all the right things, everything was gone. So I can just imagine like my sister who is 30, seeing all of that, all the trauma that comes with losing everything, even if you did the right things, and they decided they weren't going to go through that. So they live more for experiences. And I think what we're finding with millennials is that um, a lot of the choices made are a little bit short-sighted because it's almost like the pendulum has swung too far, right? So it's like with the, the folks who lived through the depression, right? The pendulum was really far to the right. And it was like, don't spend any money, save every wrapper, you know, don't throw away foil, what, you know, like, so it was extremely tight. And then millennials are like, oh my gosh, I see what can happen. It could all be wiped away. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. So enjoy, travel. Like I look at my little sister now, I'm like, what, when are you going to settle, settle down and choose like a career and a job? It's like, no, I'm going to be in China this week. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to gig economy right. my way through life. <laughs> 
Right. And I'm like, it drives me crazy. But I think that's what you're seeing. This is why millennials have not, cre- a lot of millennials have not created a base, a financial base that many of us created by the time that, that we were their age. And as a result, it's starting to come through fruition because millennials are not 20 anymore, you know? Right. And it's, you know, they're older now and they're realizing like, wait a minute, if I didn't create a career for myself, if I haven't set aside for retirement, if I had, if I don't, if I didn't learn how to save and start to invest, like I'm in a position now where I'm not as strong financially as the people that came before me. And then let's be all the way honest, like their, their money, they're not making as much as, as people before them. And, you know, due to inflation, their money can't even do as much. So they were already behind the eight ball. And then some of the choices put them further behind the eight ball. So I think that's why we're seeing millennials not, not being able to afford a similar lifestyle as generations that came before them. Some of it is through choice and some of it is like happenstance of things they couldn't control. Mm. I want to brought in the question a little bit here. Um, maybe it has to do a little bit with that, but get, getting back to budgeting, I mean, the concept of budgeting, it's, it's really a simple concept. It's spend less than you make. I mean, that's pretty much it. But why are we all struggling so much to do this? And is it realistic? Is that something that is actually something we can do? It is. Well, here's what I say. There but it's are, life too expensive. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, is it possible to budget for expenses? Yes, but it's not, it's not always easy because if, there, if you don't have enough money at the end of the month, you likely have one or two issues. You have a spend too much issue or you have a don't make enough issue. Like those are the two, or sometimes you have a combination of the both, but that's it. Either you're spending too much or you're not making enough or a combination of those two. And the way you kind of figure it out is that you write down what all your expenses are. So that's grooming, that's, that's bills, that's the kids, that's everything and how much they cost you a month and on average, and then how much your take-home pay is, right? So you kind of, you, well, that's not true. You make, you write a list of all your expenses and then you start to categorize them, putting a B next to all of the bills. So that's, you know, that's gas, that's electric, that's water, that's rent, that's everything else. So a B all next to all the bills and utilities, and then a C next to whatever's left. If you have more B's than C's, then you likely don't make enough. That means most of your money is going toward quote unquote, your responsibilities. If you have more C's, which I call my cash expenses, that's like grooming, going out, you know, things that you have more control over, um, then you likely are spending too much. So if you want to identify what's the true issue, because like, for example, preschool teacher, Tiffany, if money was tight for me, I would have said, I need to spend less. But the truth is, if I were to do that, that categorization, I would see that the truth is I can't spend any less. You don't have cable. You're not going out. You're not getting your hair done. You're not getting your nails done. And I find that people who have more bees tend to say, well, can I spend even less? And that's not the true issue. So there are people who make enough. Quite a lot of people actually make more than enough, but they're just spending too much. And it starts with that baseline of a budget of what, like, what are my true expenses? What do I actually have to keep? It doesn't mean I don't believe in over-sacrifice. It doesn't mean cutting out all the fun things, but you want to set yourself up to afford the life that you want. Like right out of college, I had to decide what kind of car did I want to get? Did I want to get a car like my best friend, a new one that was going to cost me $300 a month for, for the car note and another $200 a month for insurance? Or I stayed home for a year instead and I saved, you know, working at a local daycare center, I saved and I was able to buy a two-year-old car cash for five um, for five fifty five hundred dollars. So now my car note zero, her car note is is two fifty, 
my insurance, I remember at the time distinctly, it was $62 a month. That's how much my insurance wow. was. Because, well, that's because I, you know, when you own your car and I had just liability because it was my car, I could decide that. And her insurance was, you know, the, the 250 or 300 bucks a month. So now her life is costing her almost 600 bucks a month. And my life is costing me for the same car, 52. So do you see what I mean? That that's what we're finding with people is that the choices that you're making are adding up. You have a, a bed bill because instead of saving and purchasing the bed, you've now financed the bed. You have a blender bill. Instead of saving and purchasing the blender, you swiped it on your Best Buy card or whatever, and now you're paying off that blender. So folks keep adding on additional bills every single month, and they're putting themselves in a position where they don't have enough money to carry themselves through. And so that's really what it is. It's these day-to-day -day choices that, that make or break what your finances are going to be like. Obviously, what you're talking about when you got out of college and bought a car and all these things that you did, you are were obviously some kind of dream child. I mean, for real, like, like some kind of super child. I mean, that's amazing. And I look at my kids and they're so far removed from that because maybe we haven't done as much to teach them as your dad did and everything. And I think probably, you know, a lot of people would say, yeah, I have, I have done a crap job so far of showing my kids how to budget and everything. So on a relatable level, what are some things that we can start doing right away that make sense and are simple to show our kids that they should be the kid who, when they graduate college, should be, you know, saving for a used car rather than a new one? Like, what, what are we missing? So if you've got, I'd say this. So if you've got kids, let's just say you've got, um, let's, let's go through the age range. So if you've got really little ones starting three or four, that's when kids typically start saying, mom, dad, can you buy me? So if you've got, you know, a, a child that young, that something that you can do, this is what I used to do when I taught preschool is I would pay them monopoly money for the job they did. Like every preschool classroom has jobs. So you pay them monopoly money. I, well, I would for, hey, Sarah, you know, you did a good job, you get $2 every day for a good job. You do an okay job, you get $1, you don't do the job at all, because sometimes kids just don't feel like doing what they're supposed to do. They got no money, right? And so it got to teach them, and then they got to save that money. And it was, they, they, they had the ability to learn, like, oh, I earn, and then every two weeks I would have, like, a school store where everything was a dollar, and they got to kind of use their Monopoly money to purchase. So really little kids, that's a great activity. Um, and then two, I had to make, so if you've got kids who are a little bit older, say like um, elementary school age children, you can have them make what I call like my savings box. And so a savings box is like a mix between a, a, a vision board and a piggy bank. So they get to pick, cut out pictures of things they want to save for. It's really a fun craft activity. They put it on a shoebox, and every time they're given money, they have to put some money in that savings box. And so that really helps for elementary school children to think about future things. And say, let's just say you have children that are a little bit older, middle school. So this is when you really start teaching kids the segmentation of money. So I did this for um, my, my stepdaughter, Alyssa, as I got her a, shoe, uh, um, a piggy bank. It, it, you don't have to buy one. You could just get three like um, coffee cans. And we labeled them giving, saving, spending. And every time she got money, she had to put something in giving, saving, spending. And whenever we went, so when she was really little, I would tell her, this is your budget when we go to Staples. By the time she got to middle school, I didn't tell her this is your budget. She would say, can I go with you to Staples? And I'd say, sure. 
And I would ask her, what's your budget? And that meant she had to go to her spending jar and look. And sometimes she would say 50 cents. I'm like, you still want to go? No. <laughs> and then she got to decide with the oh, window with the, shopping exactly <laughs> and then she got to decide with the with the um with the giving component of that of the jar she got to decide who are we going to give to so i told her giving is about helping someone that's not you so it might be the neighbor it might be we're gonna you know go to a homeless shelter it whatever that looks like she could decide what to do with that giving jar and the savings um, component once a month her father would take her because she has a savings account at, at a bank would take her to the bank with her little can and she would deposit her money into the savings and so into her savings account so that's like middle school and then high school comes around you have teenagers now now is a great time for them the same thing they should still be doing giving savings spending but now is a great time to take them and open up their first bank account with you so so I remember we didn't have a sweet 16 my dad instead took us to the bank opened up an account to learn and like, you know, like literally talking to the banker, what did it mean? You know, how do I use my debit card? Um, because they're, you're likely your, your teenager, you know, they have like these like teen, uh, uh, debit cards and, and things now. So you're still wanting your teenager to do saving, spending, um, giving, but the, the saving now you're going to talk to them about some of the saving should also be invested. And what does that mean? You know, what does investing look like? So once a month, instead of depositing that money into just your savings account, it can be split into an investment account and a savings account. And then once a month, kind of going through where is that money invested? Let's talk about what that looks like and having those like more adult conversations. So these are things, these are like things that you can do with your child from when they're really little until when they get to be a teenager. And even now to this day, my dad is in his seventies. And every time I call him, there's a financial lesson. He'll ask me about my business. He'll ask me, you know, like, um, did I pay my taxes? You know, he'll ask, um, you know, how much, what percentage of my income am I saving? Um, have my taxes gone up? How am I managing that? Like my dad still, still, I'm 40 and he's, he's 75, is still teaching me financial lessons. So, and sometimes a financial lesson is just conversation about what's actually happening. I can remember when I was like, we, I had to have been like 12 or something, but my mom lost her job as a nurse, her hospital closed. And we, it was right before Christmas. And they sat us down and said, you know, mommy lost her job because the hospital closed, but her new job starts in January. I think it was like November, they were telling us this. So, so and, you know, um, in the meantime, there's not gonna be presents for Christmas in December, but in January, we'll keep the tree up and then we'll have, we'll, you know, we'll do presents like then. And I remember like, it was like Christmas, you know, the tree was up, lights on, and it was like tomorrow morning is our faux Christmas and we got to open presents, you know, but it was later, but there was, it was open transparency and communication of what was happening. I didn't learn to be afraid of money until the recession happened. I wasn't afraid because my parents never presented money in this fearful way. It was, even if something was wrong, they were just very matter of fact, like mom lost her job. So this is what we're going to do, you know, um, this is how much money we have in savings. So this is what we're allowed to do. This is how much money we have for vacation. So we can't go to Disney, but we can certainly go to the Jersey Shore. And so I think that if you don't know anything else as a parent, talking to your child about what's happening financially with the family, but doing so in a way that's not fear-based. 
Yeah, because that's hard too. I was going to say so many of us, I think, sh- feel like we're we're keeping our kids safe and shielding them by not talking about finances because finances is a, it sounds very heavy and serious, and we don't want to, like you said, scare them. Um, but I think that it is important, and I love that your dad always brings it up because I think a lot of times we just bring up finances when it's negative, right? Yes. We just bring it up when it's, and I, we, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm definitely guilty of that too. That I'll say to my kids, oh, we can't, you know, we can't do this because, of, you know, X, Y, or Z. But that's probably the only time I'm bringing it up. So how do we talk about finances at other times on a daily basis without making it sound scary? So there's always a chance. So as a teacher, they would call it a teachable moment, right? So it could be when you're food shopping. It could be when you're clothes shopping. So if your kids go food shopping with you. And so, for example, like, you know how you're taking things out of the cart? So as they're going food shopping, how, how old are your, your, your children? They are um, 14, 11, and 8. All right. So especially for like the eight-year-old, the, the probably the 14-year-old probably be like, I don't want to do it. But for the 11-year-old um, and the eight-year-old, like allowing them to add up things. So you might say, okay, our budget for food shopping is $150. So here's a pad and a pencil and um, like, you know, my cell phone as a calculator. Everything that goes in, you write down the amount and we start to add it up. So you can tell me how close we are to the budget. Do you see? So that way it's, it's like, okay, especially like an eight-year-old would enjoy that. Like, oh, okay, there's a little autonomy there. Like I get to be in charge of something, you know? or or like um, when it comes to uh, clothes shopping, and especially if you give children their own uh, budget for themselves for things that they want, like, okay, we're going to do back to school shopping, you get to pick whatever you want up to $20. You know, now we're at Target looking at things. And now all of a sudden, because my mother used to always say that, like when, when she finally let me pick out some of my clothes, like I was so particular. She's like, oh, so when you buy them, it has to be lined in gold. Like, because I'd be looking at every little, oh, the stitching is off, right? (laughs) Because all of a sudden it's my money. So giving them a little bit of like, you know, let's just say if you set aside, like say $200 for back to school shopping and you're going to allow them $20 to choose something, then it it gives them like, like, wow, wait, a choice has to be made. I have to be conscious of looking at how much things cost. So I think things like that, like, so every time you're making a financial choice in your life, how can I make this a, a lesson? you know, for the kids, you know, if I'm going to get a haircut, like, well, mommy, how come you're cutting your own hair today? Well, every time I get a haircut, it's $20, but I really wanted us to go to whatever, wherever this weekend. And so instead I'm going to trim my own hair. So we have that $20 so we can have fun at, at Chuck E. Cheese this weekend. But do you see, it doesn't have to be like this big sit down. Sometimes it's just a one-off, like literally like every, I feel like my dad is always like, you know, one-offing like, um, you know, he'll, he'll tell me about a deal like that, you know, that he made, maybe he'll say like, I'll say, Oh, daddy, that's a really cute sweater. And he'll say, you know, it was our, at Macy's. It was the last one. And I asked the lady, since it's the last one, is there a discount? And I'm like, they do that. And he was like, you never know until you ask. So it was a lesson. Like, you know, sometimes a department store might give you a discount just because you asked, or there might be a coupon available that you're not aware of, but that one off had me thinking, huh, I'll try that as well. And so I think that's what it looks like. It doesn't necessarily look like, it doesn't have to look like Thursday night money classes. Sometimes it just looks like regular everyday conversation of of why you chose this box of of cereal instead of this box, because that box was $2 more. And instead you're going to put that $2 toward vacation. So you guys can go someplace fun. Hmm. That's amazing. I like it. 
Yeah, I do too. I I also wanted to ask about, okay, for us, Adam and me, I think the worst were like, even when you said the word budget before, I think I started to, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the reaction is not good. And you know, it's never a good situation when you say we need to sit down and talk about finances. But I know you say, I've seen on your Instagram and everything that you say that couples that talk about money at least twice a week tend to have happier and healthier relationships. But how do we do that without having the hostility and the anger towards each other when we bring it up and talk about it? So you want to take out the blame game, right? So when I first met my husband, it definitely was that. Like, I know the things. You don't know the things. I know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I definitely... Say it again. <laughs> right? so, so that definitely was me. My, my husband used to call me a, um, a budget bully. You're such a budget bully. I'm like, is that I a thing? I can imagine. It must be very, like, is, does he feel like constantly you're watching the finances and everything? Or, <laughs> yes. I would imagine that's intimidating. Yes. And so, but when I realized that, like, okay, that that's not fair, that just because I'm navigating a certain way doesn't mean that the way he's navigating is wrong. And so what you do is like, well, one, you start with the financial, what I call the financial baseline. What is something that you both can agree on without, without, you know, thinking about it. And I know the one thing we both could agree on is that we wanted to set aside money for Alyssa, his daughter, my stepdaughter, right? And so whenever we were like, that used to be the thing I would go back to. If he didn't want to save or he wanted to, I remember I used to always think when I came back from a business trip that there was going to be like a big new truck in the car, in the driveway. Because he'd always be like, I really want to get this truck. I'm like, babe, it doesn't make sense for us to get a truck now. And I just felt like I was going to come home one day and it's going to be a truck. But we um, had that with TVs, but it actually happened. (laughs) He's like, he's like that with TVs as well. But the way I would get him is I would say, okay, we can put all that money toward the truck. But when's the last time we deposited money into Alyssa's um, uh, college fund? So it was like, cause that was the financial baseline. That was the one thing we could both agree on. That's more important than anything. And he'd be like, oh, you're right. And so once we got that financial baseline of saving for Alyssa is a thing we both agree upon, then it became, well, what else do we both agree upon? Saving for vacation is something we both agree upon. Saving for a house is something we both agree upon. So I love that twist on it. You, you see what I mean? And then I from there, it. it made it easier to say, because then it wasn't, no, you can't do this or no, you can't do that. It's, well, is that in alignment with Alyssa, the house, vacation? And if you don't mind taking money away from those things, okay. And then finally, we created a system that really works for us now, which is it gives us both freedom and responsibility to the family, where is that money comes into the household and we each get an allowance that, that lasts us every two weeks because we, he gets paid every two weeks. I get paid whenever because I'm an entrepreneur, but, <laughs> but, it, right? but still, we get our allowance every two weeks and then we both contribute to a separate checking account called our bills account, where that, that bills account accounts for all bills, but including family spending, like groceries, goes in the bills account. Um, car, if we're fixing up any of the cars, goes in the bills account. So all of the family family funds goes in the bills account, not just bill money. And then we have individual savings for things that we want to save for. And then we also have joint savings. So what I like is that if my husband has something new, I know before I spoke, where'd you get that? How much was it? Now I know one his, his job automatically deposits his bill money into the bills account. So because his money splits at right from the onset from his employer. So I know, well, you know what? The bill money has been deposited. 
the, the joint savings money has been deposited. So this is either money, he used that money from his personal savings or his personal spending. So it's like, well, what do I have to fuss about? I might not love these new boots or whatever he bought, but it didn't affect the family's income. Do you see what I mean? So it allowed him to have the freedom to do what he wanted with money, but also to contribute fairly and it allows me to do the same. And so that just helped tremendously having like separate checking and not separate checking. Like I don't see it. Like I know what's in his personal checking and his personal savings, but meaning like it's his to spend as he'd like. And it's nominal in comparison to what's contributed to the family. But it allows us to go ahead. I was going to say, so it's important to know how much your spouse has. But at the same time, it's okay to have that separate account. Because I know sometimes people say, oh, you guys have some separate accounts. Oh, there must be something so wrong. And but but in some ways, as long as you it's not hidden money, it's money that you know about, but that the person should just be able to spend however they want. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's not hidden money. It's right. money that I know, but um, because like he's really generous. never a good thing, right? Yes, I don't believe it's that hidden money. I mean, I know sometimes people will tell you, especially when I find that sometimes um, older women will tell younger women, like you should always have some money off to the side. And, right. but and that, say, that might be, I mean, you know, it depends maybe a little bit. Yes. Not and a that, whole, like. You, and say, I think that this, like, if you are in a dangerous relationship, then obviously, yes. Right. You know that like, you know, this is not a, a safe space that I need to like squirrel away some funds until I'm, I have enough to leave. Absolutely. But if you feel like you're in a healthy, happy relationship, then no, like, you know, to me, it doesn't, how does that promote like a healthy, happy relationship if you're hiding money just for the sake of hiding it? Not because you feel like I need to in order to protect myself, which right. is totally under- right. Those understandable. Are things. Yes. You know, but like, for example, my husband is really generous. Oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, anyone could be like, oh, can I borrow $20? Can I borrow? And it used to drive me crazy. So I'm like, but now it still drives me crazy. But I'm like, well, he's lending his allowance. I guess he won't be getting a haircut this week, you know? <laughs> like, so it's like you have the freedom to do what you want, how you want. And like I said, I think that that is important that as adults, you know, we, we want some autonomy. We want some freedom. But at the same time, you are part of a collective family and you need to contribute to that family. Um, Fairly. And if you make like if you make similar incomes, it can be the similar amounts. If you make like significantly more, it could be different. Like I make more than my husband. So most of the income that he contributes collectively to the family actually goes to the bills. And most of the income that I contribute co- um, collectively to the family goes to savings and investing. So he heavily could, so I contribute some to the bills, but most of his, like, if he's going to contribute 70%, that's going into the bills account. If I'm contributing 70%, that's mostly going into our savings and our investment account because it just makes sense that way. So it's like, we're both contributing our portion. It's just, it doesn't matter where it goes. It's going to the family. Cause I had a friend who was like kind of going back and forth. She's newly married, like about a year. And she was struggling with that. Like, you know, like, is, is he contributing enough? And I said, well, it sounds like you guys are both equally contributing, like, you know, a, a, a 70% to the family. Why does it matter if his goes to bills or savings or investing, if it's jointly yours? I think you're, 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 um, you're getting too nitpicky, you know, like, cause I guess he felt like I'm paying the bills. Well, no, but isn't his money the reason why you guys were able to get that investment property? So, because that his money was going into your savings and investment account. So I just think that being mindful of that as well, that as long as it's contributed to the whole, it doesn't matter specifically where it has to go. Mm-hmm. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I also want to throw in something quick here too. With it, you could do everything right, you can budget, you can get, you know, great advice, you can you could be doing all the right things, but there's still things you have to be careful about. There's bad advice, there's scams, there's I I heard you, I don't remember where it was. I think I might have been on some YouTube video. You were interviewing somebody and you you, you told a story about a a woman who told you their credit card company advised her to leave a small balance on her credit card every month. Yes. That was you, right? Yes. So what, like, what's that all about? Like, so we still have to be careful, even though we think we're doing everything right. Yeah, no, you do. Because here's the thing. I mean, you have to be careful of who benefits from that. Um, who benefits from telling you that to leave a small amount, you know, it, of course, you know, because yeah. the truth of the matter is it's, it's the credit card company that benefits because if you have a small amount of money left on your credit card, um, um, on your credit card, then that means they get to charge you interest. Whereas if you don't, they don't get to charge you interest. So I told her like, no, you absolutely do not have to leave, um, you know, money left on your credit card. But that's, that's the, the trick that some credit card companies will tell you. And so that's why also it's important to ask questions. I think not enough people honestly ask questions, not enough people. That's why I started the budget Nisa and I have a, we have a, um, an amazing, team, well, not really team, I guess we call it kind of like a tribe that we call ourselves dream catchers. And because I want people to ask questions of each other, we, we, we congregate mostly on um, Facebook. We have a Facebook group of about, mm, I want to say 420,000 um, folks. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's called and it's dream- all people who are, who are, who you could just, you go there and you can ask questions and get yes. and everything. Yes. And it's free. Like, it's like, you know, like it's all because I, I do a lot of, I give a lot of free courses, trainings, classes, and so much so, which I love is that the very people that used to come for the advice are now giving advice because they've taken those, those courses, trainings. So it's awesome. That is and awesome. So, so it's called um, Dream Catchers Live Richer with the Budget Nista. Because Dream Catchers, it's like, I, we, I always tease them that they're the beehive of personal finance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think it's important. But that's what I've seen things like that. Like, hey, someone told me, like, here's one that I've heard. Someone told me that I should pay um, uh, my credit card bill in, in two, two payments, right? So I pay half. If I'm going to pay it off in full every month, I pay half by the 15th and the other half by the 30th, let's say. And I'm like, that. I mean, you can do that, but it literally doesn't matter. Not for a credit card bill, you know, that um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, they said it makes it, look, it makes it look like you made two payments in a month, that you don't get any brownie points for making two pay- payments in a month for a credit card. What you get brownie points for is paying off a debt in full or keeping your balance well below 30% of the limit. That's where you get your brownie points. But if you didn't know, you know, if you, if you didn't know anybody you can ask that of, then you might make that mistake. So yeah, like careful where you're getting your information from as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Asking questions and and even if it seems legit, there's nothing wrong with saying, "Is this true?" Right. And, and there's so many Facebook groups, not just mine, but there's so many communities, groups, pages that you can follow to learn more. 
Okay. And I know that you, like you said, I know you've helped so, so, so many people with so many different problems across the board. What are a few things that you pretty much think that everybody needs to do to get our finances in order and have like a healthy relationship with money? So across the board, absolutely. You need, you need a, the right financial mindset, which is that you are capable of reaching your financial goals, that it is not an insurmountable task to get on track. So mindset is first. Second, definitely a budget. I don't care how much money you make, there should be some sort of budget in place. It could be super flexible, super strict, depending on where you are in life. Everyone needs a budget. Also, um, you have to have management of debt. You don't have to necessarily be debt free, but you do have to have some sort of like uh, management of debt. Even if it's just you're, you're automatically paying off your debt every single month, doing that. Management of your credit. Ideally, you want a credit score of 740 or above. Um, and the reason why is 740 is the beginning of perfect credit. Um, so if you have a 740 and I have an 850, we are both in the same range of A plus and we'll get the same interest rate. Two, insurance. Like, are you properly insured? Do you have enough insurance? Do you have too much insurance? So knowing what that looks like. A positive net worth or working toward that. So that just means do you own more than you owe. That is what your net worth is. I really believe in this day and age, you should also have um, multiple streams of income. Now, if you live in a two income household, great, you have your multiple streams. But if it's just you, then you're certainly wanting to figure out like, what does that look like? Multiple streams. Is it my investments? You know, is it rental? You know, do I cook on the side? Do I babysit? More than one way that income comes into your household is going to be um, really important. And um, last but not least, but super important, is you want to start estate planning. That is a will, potentially a trust, beneficiary, at the very least. If you don't do anything else tonight, go onto your bank's, um, your bank's website and add beneficiaries to your bank account. If something were to happen to you, this is the person, an adult, not a child, this is the person that would be able to have access to the funds there. But being mindful, this is what my financial planner just told me. She was like, um, be mindful that if, even if you have in your will, my sister is going to inherit all of these funds. But if on your bank account, you have your, 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 um, your, your brother on your bank account as a beneficiary, the beneficiary on your bank account trumps what the will says. So keeping that up to date is so important because so many people like, you know, like I, when I was younger, I, didn't, I wasn't married. So my beneficiary were, were my parents and my sisters. And I looked recently and I realized like, oh, wow, like my beneficiary needs to be my husband now because I'm married. We've been married three years and I totally forgot if something were to happen, he wouldn't have access to some of the funds that, that would also, that he should, that he should have access to. Um, not that my sisters would do that to him. At least I don't think so. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are the things I can, so it seems like a lot, but it's possible. Budget, credit, debt, insurance, net worth, mindset, um, streams of income, and, and estate planning. Those, that's the core foundation of your, of your adult financial life. I think I go back to what you were saying in the beginning about how uh, people used to come to you because they knew that you knew so much about finances and everything. And I think about people in our lives because we really we've been through terrible financial difficulty. Um, and, you know, and I go back to where you said that, um, you know, people would knock on your door. I think about 
maybe people need to think about in their own lives, who do I look up to and respect financially and think probably has a good handle on things that I can talk to? Mm-hmm. that you trust, right? Isn't that kind of a good place to start if you don't have a financial planner or you don't know or you're really feeling lost to maybe go and open yourself up to somebody who looks like they probably have a pretty good handle on finances? Yeah, at least start the conversation. That's what I'm learning that you don't have to know all the things. Don't be scared because, you know, that you can't be too embarrassed to talk about it because otherwise you're never going to get out of it. Exactly. And like I said, like having just having the conversation at the very least, like I think that that's truly the key is that most people don't have the conversation. Like, how do I do this? Do you know how to budget? Oh, you do. Oh, you know, like my credit score, you'd be surprised who knows what. I think starting with having the conversation is is a critical component. Mm -hmm. Just being willing willing to talk about it because so many people are so humiliated and embarrassed about it. Exactly. Like I said, having that conversation, because too, I think what the greatest gift that my dad gave me, quite honestly, was normalizing talking about money. Mm-hmm. That was the greatest gift that if you can get, you know, someone to normalize talking about money, then you can relieve them of the shame. And once you can be relieved of the shame, then you can focus on the solution. Mm. Okay. And I want you to reiterate again what you were saying about how for people who are really feeling right now, like they are just in too much debt and finances is too hard to talk about and too hard to think about. Can you just give like a little bit of a pep talk? Because I do think there are people out there who feel like they will never get out of this hole they're in. So I would say that at one point I was $300,000 in debt and that was mortgage. That was credit card debt. That was like, I had $35,000 of credit card debt because of a credit card scam that the bank like said, it's your fault basically. And that was student loan debt of over $50,000. And I remember I was 30, I was 29 going on 30. I had to move back home to my parents' house, sleep in my middle school bed, which is an extra medium. That's a small medium for those uninitiated. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember like thinking to myself, wow. And I remember like they had turned this middle school, like my middle school bedroom into like my mom turned into almost like in her walk-in closet. And she didn't care that I was in there or sleeping in there. She's like, whatever, this is still my closet. So she would just come in and I just would be looking at her like, how is this my life? I'm 30 years old. I'm back home. Like I'm a kid. And my parents are super strict. They were like, if you're home, you still have a curfew of midnight at midnight at 30. (laughs) So it didn't get any more humbling. And I just remember thinking like, wow, is this life? I did all the right things. I went to school. I got my master's. I had a good job. I was good at my job and I did all the right things. And it was all taken within, it seemed like an instant. How and did your dad react to that when you had to move home? Was he sort of like, did you, did, were you worried that he was disappointed because, or did you feel like he was going to think lesser of you? I mean, I know it wasn't your fault, but did you at some point worry about that? I didn't tell him at first. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, he knew that I lost my job due to the, um, due to the the recession, like, you know, my school closing. So that he was like, oh, okay, you know, that makes sense. I didn't tell him about the credit card scam. I didn't, I didn't tell him, honestly, until years later, because I was so ashamed of it. And I thought, why didn't I consult with him? And so I just said, hey, you know, as you know, my school closed and I lost my job, so I'm home. And he was like, okay, because that, that at least to me felt like that made sense. Sure. That quote unquote wasn't my fault. But yeah, it was a lot of shame that I carried for years and I couldn't move past it. And so I stayed 
in financial trauma for such a long time. And it wasn't until I finally told my best friend that what was happening with like the credit card scam and how I was losing my house to foreclosure and everything else. And she was like, oh, that's it. Cause I had not, I, you know, she's like, I had not really been going out. I had not been picking up the phone. And she was like, honestly, Tiffany, you were the only one of us that was doing okay financially. So welcome to the rest of the world, right. <laughs> you know? And she normalized the fact that people go through financial troubles because I made it personal. I messed up with money. So I personally am a messed up person, mm-hmm. you know? And so she was just like, yeah, girl, no, like it's, it's not that serious that everyone, you know, struggles and you know, at least you know how to budget, at least you know how to save. And I thought, you know what? She's right. Why am I not doing the things that I've always done? And I went back to that. And that's when I pulled myself out. So I say to anyone who is, in the middle of financial trauma, feeling like they're so overwhelmed. I wish I would have told myself back then that there are some bills that are not going to get paid right now because I was like, so far, I'd never not paid a bill on time. So I was freaked out. And I wish I would have told myself there are some bills, honestly, that like I had to make a choice. I had to lay out all my bills and say, this is how much your unemployment is, Tiffany. You can either pay your mortgage, which is 1660 and none of the other bills or the rest of the bills and not your mortgage. And I remember I was like, Oh my God. I mean, I'm surprised I don't have an ulcer with the level of stress. And I decided, well, I can't afford the mortgage. And I thought, oh my God, it's the end of life. And yet here I am still speaking, still alive. Mm -hmm. And I didn't pay the mortgage and I lost the house to foreclosure. And my 802 credit score dropped to a, a 547. And guess what? I started paying bills on time. And in two years, my, my credit score raised to a 750. And for, I lived in my parents' house for a year, then with my sister for a year, then a bunch of friends in mine, we rented a room and a house for a year until I got on my feet. And now here I am now, like on the other side of that, like I paid off that credit card debt eventually. You know, I, I didn't regain my house. That house is gone now and all the money that I put into it, but I'm okay financially now. And so I say all that to say that it's okay to say, this person is not gonna get their money. Um, I'm going to tell them and I'm going to work, do what I can do with what I do have, making sure that you secure like where you live, the food that you eat and making sure you and your children, if you have children are, are in a safe space. Like that's, what's most important. If Verizon has to wait, so be it. Unless you need Verizon for work. If Sprint has to wait, okay. Unless you need it in order to support yourself. But do you see, like, I wish I could have told myself it's okay, Tiffany, nobody passes away. If your credit card bill is late. Will your credit score drop? Yes, but guess what? Credit scores go up and they go back down and they go back up again, you know? Right. Yeah, so like I wish I would have known that and I wish I would have known that, you know, one mistake doesn't last for always. I mean, you know, four years later, like now my husband and I, we have a house now, you know? Like I lost my house to foreclosure and now I'm back in the house again. So it's not the end of the world, although it is hard and it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard. It's not the end of the world. There's definitely light on the other side of the tunnel. But the only way to see the light on the other side of the tunnel is to walk toward it. Like if you stay and you're sitting and you're not doing anything, then, then you're going to stay in financial darkness for a while. You have to do something. And sometimes you just have to say, I screwed up and now I need to make it better. Exactly. Yeah, which, I, we've, which it is fully relatable to every single human being on the planet. So we, and we forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell everybody where they can find you. I know you have a ton of awesome uh, resources and platforms. So yeah, so I am the budget nista on everything: Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter. Um, but I think what I think, especially for your audience, what actually is really fun and exciting, a new project that I just launched and I started my first, I wrote my first children's book. I saw that. That's so exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so because I thought, okay, parents, especially parents of little kids, so it's um, ideally for ages three to seven, really struggle and teachers as well struggle with teaching financial education um, to their children. So I thought, well, what if I wrote a children's book that helped to teach age appropriate financial education? And in the back, I have extend the lesson activities and questions. So that way you can extend the lesson further. So you know that your child is getting it. Um, so I wrote this book um, called Happy Birthday, Molly Moore, through this little girl that, that through her own kind of like um, choices, teaches your child how to navigate um, in a way that's age appropriate. I think people don't realize that for three to seven, age appropriate financial education is math and counting and, and numbers and giving and less versus more and sharing. That's what it looks like. Um, so yeah, so right now, I mean, depending on when you're listening to, but I, I have a Kickstarter running right now for the book, but you might be listening to this two months from now and it's already live and, but it's uh, mollymore.com, M-A-L-I-M-O-R-E.com. And yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. It's the, it's the first of what I hope to be many books to teach financial education. Um, I take it really seriously, kids in financial education. I, I helped to write a law that was just passed last year that in the state of New Jersey, um, they have to integrate financial education in middle school. Yes, I love that. That's amazing. We're in New Jersey, so, so that yeah. really affects us. And we're, yeah. we're, we're grateful to you. That's awesome. So it was three I years. I'm going to read that book because I think three to seven is pretty much my financial literacy uh, yeah. <laughs> level. Well, no, honestly, you know what? Any adult who doesn't understand how this stuff works. I always say when I don't understand something, whether it's a science-based thing that I'm looking up or whatever, I go to a kid's website for whatever that topic yeah. is. And that's the easiest way to learn. No, absolutely. That oftentimes they explain things to kids way, way better than they explain, unfortunately, than they explain things to adults. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think that, yeah, financial education is, is, is paramount. Like you, we have to make it um, and we have to make it something that you learn from early on. So my friend, um, she's an assembly woman. Um, her name is Angela V. McKnight, the one who I wrote the bill and the law with. We are going to do, because financial literacy month is April. So we're going to do a, a little tour of the schools to see like how it's going. And then we're going to go back for elementary school because I want your kid in New Jersey, as soon as they are school age, that they're getting age appropriate financial education. Because for New Jersey, we were one of the first states, but we have a law in place for high school already. I would love for it to be a federal law that every child, as soon as they hit kindergarten, are, they're learning about financial education. Um, but, you know, at least we'll start with New Jersey and, and spread from there. So, yeah, I just think that, I mean, there's a, there's a, this research really shows that children that have a lack of financial education when they're young are more apt to struggle as an adult. But I think we know that. So it's like, how do we, how do we bypass what we are contending with now? That it's not that you're not going to make mistakes because I look at my life and I've made every financial mistake that you can think of, but I've been able to course correct because of my upbringing. That had I not grown up in the household that I grew up, I might still be struggling post-recession. But because of my upbringing, despite my mistakes, I am even better than I was before. So that's what I want for everyone, not to be mistake-free financially, but to have the tools and the resources to bounce back despite the mistakes that you make. I love it. Yeah. We're going to put all, what, all the links that you want to provide to us. We'll put them in the show notes. So anybody who's listening now, go right to the show notes. That's where you can find Tiffany. 
and any anywhere on Instagram and we're yeah, all places. absolutely. <laughs> we're gonna yeah, we'll put you all over because you're such a great resource, and we're so happy that you came on to to talk to us. And I know for sure that starting tomorrow, I really do want to start making um, you know, just opening up the dialogue more with our kids. I think that's the first step. And, I think Adam and I both need to do that. Um, so thank you so much, Tiffany, for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we're so excited about your book and everything. So much good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. All right. Okay. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.